Welcome to The Bonfire. I'm your host, Morgan, a.k.a. Bon, and this is a podcast about video game news, reviews, rumors, and speculation. This week, I'll be covering E3's final death, probably, new console rumors, fantastic shutting down, and much more. A few things before we get started. On YouTube, please subscribe to the channel, hit the like button, and comment down below. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform and leave a review on Spotify or iTunes. A special thank you to all of the patrons and YouTube members, including Hassan, YouTubes, Neuronix, PK, Cage Nephilim, and Horseman. If you're interested in supporting this podcast for as little as $1 per month, please check out patreon.com slash bonddiesel, co-fi.com slash bonddiesel, become a member on YouTube, or subscribe over on Twitch. Gaming News E3 is dead. Probably. But maybe not forever. In what has become, you know, probably the most damning um, end of E3, uh, the ESA, who's the uh, the group that actually runs the show uh, came out and said that they will not be continuing the E3 show as we know it. Um, pretty much putting a stake in it. Um, they also did some interviews and talked to some folks where they made it pretty clear that it's done, done. That, uh, you know, they did the digital one, I think in 2021, um, which I actually liked. I'm one of the weirdos who thought it was a good show. Um, they attempted to do an in person show in 2022 or no just in 2023 this year with Reed pop who does packs. Um, and it fell apart at the last minute because all of the big companies that signed up pulled out at the last minute, which uh, was a bummer because it looked like it was going to be what E3 probably should have been a long time ago, where it was going to have a consumer focused area, a industry focused area. It was going to have like a big bar in the middle and a bunch of cool stuff. And, um, it it was it was tough because you know for a minute it looked like it was going to work the uh, you know Ubisoft and a bunch of the bigger third party platforms were on and it looked like it was going to work and then at the last minute it fell apart and of course Jeff Keighley did his uh, celebration tweet um you know his passive aggressive thing and uh, the world rejoiced, but um, I don't. Uh, I was lucky enough to go to E3 in 2018. Um, I will admit that actually going kind of was a bummer. I really didn't like it that much. Um, I went as part of Ubisoft. Uh, that is the show where they revealed the Division 2, uh, where it was going to be and a bunch of stuff like that. And um, partially it was because since we went with Ubisoft, they were kind of like corralling us around and we didn't really get to do much of what we wanted. It was more of what they wanted us to do. And so um, we did get some show floor time, uh, which I found to be just kind of stressful, to be honest. Um, but it was still cool to be there and to be a part of it. Honestly, sadly, maybe walking up to the convention center and seeing the big E3 banners and seeing all of the people was probably the coolest part. It was just the spectacle. Um, but beyond that, just as a gamer in general, the excitement about having, you know, Xbox on Wednesday morning and PlayStation on Wednesday afternoon and Ubisoft on Thursday morning. And then, you know, EA on Thursday afternoon with EA play, it was it was it was such a fun week um, of of everyone coming together, big announcements every single day through the whole day, and it was just such a fun event. And that's lost. Um, no matter how much the the nepotism baby uh, Jeff Keeley tries to act like he's doing it the right way, I'm just gonna be honest. And his shows at this point are all just very mediocre. We even had a situation this year where it seemed like it was going to be the first Summer Game Fest, which is his show, that was going to be like a big hit. And then, honestly, I thought this year that Ubi, that um, Microsoft had the best show. I thought Ubisoft had the second best one. 
And then PlayStation and SGF kind of fought for the bottom, for me, at least. And that's not just purely a bias thing, because if you remember, PlayStation Show was a, you know, they released one game this year, first party. It was just Spider-Man. And otherwise, they just showed a bunch of perspective live service games, which we'll talk more about that, but that's not going too well. And then Summer Game Fest, because Xbox and Sony and everyone else had their own shows, it was a dud, in my opinion. I thought it was kind of bad, if anything. And when you see industry people talk about Summer Game Fest being fun, you need to look and see if they went to play days. So he does an in-person event where you can go there and play games that were featured during Summer Game Fest. Um, and if you, if I was there and able to do that, then obviously I'd probably have a different take, right? Um, I would probably appreciate it more, have more fun with it, but I don't. So I get the viewer experience and I think summer game fest is kind of bad. Gamescom opening night live is pointless. It's, it's always bad. It's always awful. And then the game awards, in my opinion, is only getting worse because it's getting further and further away from the games. Yes, I love the announcements. Yes, I understand why there's ads. You know, all of the, the normal criticisms, I, I understand. And, and I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about how, and we've seen it for years, that guy is so obsessed with trying to like suck up to the movie industry. And when I call him a nepotism baby, it's because his dad invented the IMAX uh, or the IMAX camera system or whatever. And so his life, his family, and, you know, he was integrated into the film industry growing up. And so you can kind of tell that I don't know if he's like self-conscious about the gaming industry. And that's why he tries so hard to bring these you know movie stars and stuff like that to try to like legitimize gaming. But gaming doesn't need to be legitimized. Gaming is a bigger industry than film and TV. <laughs> like... It's, it's just weird, and I don't think it's going to get better. I've seen people all this week saying, well, if I know anything about Jeff Keighley, he listens to criticism and blah, blah, blah. No, because people say the same thing every year, and nothing gets better. His shows only get longer. He only disrespects the winners even more. He only puts more ads in. And I'm not just talking about reveals. I'm talking about games that are clearly ads that he doesn't like want to be in the show. He wants their money. And one thing that people keep saying about it is that um, he needs to do the ads because the show is so expensive. Well, maybe let's look at it this way. Maybe he should make the show cheaper and not need as many ads. And it, it, maybe it doesn't have to be a big spectacle in front of 20,000 people or however many they jam into that arena. Maybe he could do a smaller production and then he wouldn't have to do as many ads and then he could do more just straight up announcements and then he could, I don't know, let the winners talk for more than 30 seconds before he plays them off the stage while they're talking about one of their co-workers who died during development of the game when they won game of the year. Or I don't know, maybe the big awards, they can actually get on stage and receive the award for indie game of the year. That's a big freaking deal to win indie game of the year. And they, they were announced in the middle of five back to back quick announcements during a interlude. I understand the issues with E3. Um, the year I went was when I, they leaked all of the people's information, which included my own. Um, the ESA sucks, but E3 was awesome. And seeing people celebrate its death over and over again. And then obviously this final time, I just, I don't think people realize what we're losing. We've already lost it. It's been gone for years, but even just the hope of it coming back kept me going. And I understand that the chances of that were so slim. Xbox isn't coming back. You know, PlayStation's definitely not coming back. Nintendo's not coming back, probably. You know, you're going to have a hard time, no matter who you are, trying to get all of them to come back together into one organized show. And Keeley kind of tries to do it, where he basically just, like, probably begs Xbox to be like, hey, can I say you're part of Summer Games Fest? And they're like, yeah, sure, man. You can tweet whatever you want. And then they do their own thing. Same with the other ones. But it's just... We're losing something and it's not going to get replaced and that sucks now and i did see in an interview with the ceo or you know the head of the esa 
or they he did insinuate that one day they could do some type of event but e3 is gone um they they may try to do some kind of smaller industry events um which would be interesting so um in the fallout uh, i actually don't i think for once keely didn't send some passive aggressive douche or tweet um after this news um if anything i think he actually did try to do kind of a, a, mem- a memorandum or whatever um because at, at one point he was a big part of planning e3 and executing it um and then he left because of creative differences which I get it. I, I swear I do. But I just think that very quickly he's becoming just as bad, if not worse, than the ESA. And it's really weird seeing the industry people who are so scared, it seems like, to dare criticize them because they want to make sure they get their access and get their tickets to the shows and all that and make sure that they can vote, which is like a really weird system that is hidden behind you know, closed doors, which it really shouldn't be. I, I just, I, th- I think all the criticisms people had of E3, it's really interesting seeing people trying to kind of like hand wave all of the issues with all of his shows. And so uh, we'll have to see what happens. We'll have to see if the ESA tries to do something. I don't really care what the ESA does. I just miss E3. Um, there were some rumors or some speculation that, um, that Gamescom may try to announce an LA show in the summer um, to complement their own show that's in like late summer, early fall, um, and that they would do something like in LA, which would be really interesting. If you don't know, Gamescom in Germany is a way bigger show than anything E3 has ever been when it comes to foot traffic. I believe it gets like a quarter million people a year that come through, which is huge. I think I think the last in-person E3 was like 50,000. It might have been a little bit more. But like that would be interesting. Now he works with Gamescom on opening night live. And so in theory, he could maybe make summer game fest and a Gamescom LA kind of a combination event that wouldn't surprise me. And that would probably be pretty cool. I think that would take some of the pressure off of him and make it into a bigger event where he's not um, the face of it. And that's really what he needs to get rid of. He really needs to not be the face of Summer Game Fest and the Game Awards. He just needs to be the guy who does it. Um, but I don't think he's going to do that because I think being the face of it is what he likes. I think that's his thing. And um, I don't know. I'm not hopeful on it. It's a real bummer. Um, I, I, I really was hoping that he would get some competition again because I felt like it would make him better. Um, but it doesn't look, look like that's happening. So, Rippy 3, I, I will always remember 2018 fondly. Okay, so let's get into the platform news. We have some PlayStation and Xbox stories and then a bunch of other stories that uh, we'll get through uh, fairly timely here. The first one here is that the Last of Us 2 multiplayer mode has been canceled. Um, This was supposed to be kind of a a sequel to the Last of Us original game, uh, the Factions mode, which was their multiplayer mode. Relatively simple uh, multiplayer mode that people really, really like taking a lot of the mechanics and stuff like that from the game, putting it into a multiplayer uh, situation and people having fun with it. Um, That's a very of the time thing. Uh, We don't see that much anymore where if a game has multiplayer that has to turn into this big, you know, battle pass, live service, blah, blah, blah. And that's what seemed like happened to this multiplayer mode that just got canceled um, and that they didn't just let it be a multiplayer mode. And they said as much, I believe, during the PlayStation show, uh, either this year or last year, when they talked about, that, hey, we're bringing this multiplayer experience to you, but we've decided to make it bigger. Well, in hindsight, that has turned out to probably be a bad thing. They, um, in a blog post, they talked about how they realized that this multiplayer project was going to require the entirety of Naughty Dog to turn into a live service game studio and that they weren't willing to do that, that their mission is single player story narrative experience experiences. And there's a few things about that line that really irked me. Um, I assume that realization came when there's this like, you know, these rumored meetings where Bungie supposedly sent people to Naughty Dog to see what they were working on, to give them advice on this multiplayer live service thing, because 
with Destiny 2. Obviously, that's kind of their deal. And my guess is that Destiny, the Destiny devs, Bungie, were like, yeah, this is great what you guys are making, um, but to do it at the level you're trying to do it, your entire studio is going to have to work on this. And, you know, because I assume they want to make The Last of Us 3 and maybe a new Uncharted and maybe even other games, they didn't want to do that. And and they said as much in the blog. My issue is that in this day and age, after so many years of live service games being kind of this meta, um, even with my own experience being really into The Division, with the Destiny games, with all of the other games who have tried to do this, with Warframe, who kind of does it in the background, but very successfully. It When they said that this was like a realization to them, it's either ignorance or arrogance. Um, either they just didn't pay attention to the rest of the industry for the last 10 years, um, which I think is unlikely, or they thought, well, we're Naughty Dog. We're a Sony PlayStation first party studio. We can do anything. And I get it. I get why. They make some of the most tech-pushing, incredibly detailed, mechanically deep games anyone's ever made. Some of the most impressive games anyone has ever made. The Last of Us 2 and so on and so forth. But I, I think that there comes an air of arrogance when I don't think anyone realizes that, at least in my opinion, no one has done live service right yet. The closest it's come has been the MMOs, the the World of Warcrafts and things like that. But even then, if you check out their communities, they all hate the games too. You know, you can argue that Warframe is there, but it does it kind of in the background, kind of quietly with a big community. Um, But they kind of do it quietly, and, and I'm sure they have the same issues anyone does. And then obviously Sony's own Bungie has Destiny 2. And much like the Division community sometimes, you would think that Destiny 2 players hate the game more than anyone, even though they've played it for multiple years, and some of them a majority of their lives. And so it just, it's interesting because what I haven't seen anyone really talk about is that the reason that Sony wants live service is because a, a mediocre live service game will make so much more cash than the best single player game like the last of us two and you know many circles heralded as one of the best single player games ever made from a graphics perspective gameplay perspective story perspective all of that and it sold i'm sure tens of millions of copies but the margins are thin because that was a really expensive game to make And the margins are thin anyways. And the margins on hardware are thin. And that's why you see Sony putting out these revisions of their consoles. I think they're on like the fourth one. And that's not even talking about the pro console, which we'll get to shortly. But like, people need to realize that these margins are thin. And the reason you see companies like Epic become these ultra-rich, crazy, you know, just so rich... Is because a game like Fortnite, even though they invest a lot of money into it, obviously, they are probably the ones who do the live service thing the best. That's because they literally have at least they have hundreds of devs on Fortnite. And they own the engine. And you know, they, they own their own platform, which isn't very successful. But their margins are probably gigantic because people love to buy skins and currency and you know, character models and dances and that stuff makes you so much money. There's a guy, and of course I can't remember his name now, but he's a former blizzard dev who streams and does uh, lots of videos on YouTube. And he talked about how, uh, they worked for multiple years on a Starcraft DLC, spent hundreds of, you know, millions and millions of dollars on it, put it out. It was loved. People bought it. It was very successful and it still didn't make, as much as the, uh, what was it? it? Wasn't Elder Scrolls the the horse armor, the original DLC. This modern, really hard worked on DLC that they it was gameplay and was new modes and all this stuff with StarCraft didn't make as much money as this ancient DLC because people love to pay fifteen bucks for a skin, and that's what Sony's trying to get into. 
Um, a big thing I've seen people talk about is, um, you know, Sony doesn't need that. They're very successful, blah, blah, blah. Well, if you ever look at some of those financial things that leaked, you'll see that Sony does make a lot of money. They do very well, but they have a lot of costs too. And, you know, a company like Microsoft, you know, with plays with a Xbox and, and Nintendo, especially Nintendo makes so much money because it's, they have so many first party titles. Their consoles are fairly cheap, probably have really good margins though. And their digital store, like they just make so much money off their own stuff. Right. And Sony doesn't make as much money as you think they do. And the thing that you have to remember is that PlayStation carries Sony. Um, PlayStation is very important to the Sony brand when we're talking about this stuff. And I'll talk about this again when we get into some other topics. Sony wants this live service money because they need it. Uh, they, they need that money. Sony's worth just over a little over $100 billion. And that's a lot of money. But you do need to remember that Microsoft just purchased ABK for $70 million for more than half of the worth of Sony in general. Um, when you're talking about competition, uh, I believe Nintendo is worth about twice as much as Sony and not just PlayStation, but Sony as a whole. And then Microsoft is worth like $1.1 trillion or something. It's, you know, Microsoft is literally worth 10 times more than Sony. I'm not just saying PlayStation. Obviously, PlayStation dominates Xbox. They're, they're killing it. And it's really impressive what Sony does. But when people are comparing these two platforms, and we're kind of leaving Nintendo out of this because they're their own thing, Sony needs PlayStation to win. Microsoft just needs Xbox to be around. You know, if, if Xbox failed tomorrow and they shut it down, Microsoft would be fine. It wouldn't be great. It would obviously be very painful for that company, but they'd be fine. If PlayStation shut down tomorrow, Sony would cease to exist. And so when, when you're, when we're looking at this stuff and the moves they're making, you need to remember all this stuff. And this stuff will be important with multiple other topics I have today, but you know, this, this, uh, this live service thing with Sony, I understand why they're making that push. I just think that maybe they smelled their own farts a little bit and thought that, you know, we're Sony, we can do this. The other people have failed because they're not good. We're really good. And I think we're seeing already that, that it's probably not that simple. And for fans of destiny and the division and others, you'll understand. I think Ubisoft massive who makes the division is Ubisoft's best studio and they struggled. And the big thing that people don't realize about the division is that it was trying to compete with destiny with a quarter of the resources. And you know, like, like Ubisoft has never let Ubisoft massive just be a division studio. They've always had their pot, their hand in different pots. And so when you look at a studio like Bungie, the up until the marathon project, but even still for the most part is a destiny studio. And even they struggle, you know, it, it makes you realize why these other, you know, things are going to struggle too. And then you have like this naughty dog situation where naughty dog just can't be a live service studio. They, I'm sure the people who work there don't want to do that. And Sony probably doesn't want them to, because even though their games have a slim margin, they still do really well. So Maybe PlayStation will hit it with one of these live service games. It's very obvious that The Last of Us multiplayer will not be it. Uh, in other rumors, we have, uh, well, this is a rumor. Uh, the Last of Us thing was confirmed. Uh, the PS5 Pro is supposedly coming in late 2024, about a year from now. Um, some specs leaked on this. What was interesting is I didn't really find any of the specs that leak to be that impressive, um, they're obviously an uplift to the current systems and it would make this the most powerful system on the market. Um, but supposedly what the, the big, um, card up the sleeve for this console is supposed to be is that Sony is trying to make their own DLSS tech. Uh, that's the NVIDIA, um, the NVIDIA technology that basically makes things run at like 4K 60 FPS, even though they're really at like 720p 30 FPS. Um, and what that does is it allows people with lower level hardware to make games look like they're running on like top end hardware. That's obviously very exciting for consoles because we're already seeing that the Xbox Series X 
and S, obviously, and the PS5 are already struggling with games that are coming out fairly early in their lifespans, right? And so this PS5 Pro is supposedly going to have um, their own version, the Sony proprietary DLSS type thing. Now, the thing to know is that there's three technologies that right now trying to do this. There's DLSS, which is NVIDIA. There is FSR, which is AMD, uh, which is the same technology that both the PlayStation and Xbox are currently using, are AMD um, CPUs and GPUs. And then Intel has XESS. Now, the thing about um, FSR, the AMD tech, which... Uh, PlayStation and Xbox will have access to. I'm sure they can use it because everyone can use it because it's a software um, solution, which means that it just uses your GPU and it just um, does things to uplift images and increase frame rates, but it's purely just using software. Where NVIDIA, this DLSS, only works on their GPUs because their GPUs have dedicated hardware that the only thing they do is do that frame uplift. Um, and that makes it better. It's just better. It's DLSS is, is, is magic is the best way I can describe it. And FSR is just fine. It's like a filter. XESS, the Intel solution, I don't know. I, I think it's actually hardware, but it's still in its infancy and it's not very good yet. Um, but I believe it is hardware as well, but it's kind of Intel's doing their best to be a third party in this game. And that's great. That's a good thing, but we won't focus too much on them. And the reason I go into this is that Sony trying to make their own proprietary DLSS solution is pretty crazy because we've seen AMD um, try to do it for years and years and years now um, to try to catch back up to DLSS, which they haven't. And they're worth, AMD is worth twice as much as Sony. And then you have Intel, who's trying as well, that's worth basically twice as much as Sony. And then you have NVIDIA, who's actually successful in it, who's worth as much as Microsoft. They're worth over a trillion dollars. And the reason that's important is that what we're looking at here is, you know, we just had this conversation about live service games and Sony being in over their head and maybe being a little arrogant. I think that's where we're going to find ourselves with this DLSS tech too. You know, they're, they're going to be trying to compete with a company that's worth 10 times what they're worth with 10 times the resources and experience. And maybe they'll do it. You know, the, they obviously have some good engineers and so stuff. Uh, Mark Cerny is probably racking his brain over this stuff, but that's a big ask because they aren't the only ones trying to do this. And really only one platform has succeeded and there's, you know, they only have so many resources to put into this stuff. The other thing is that DLSS um, and all of these other technologies have to be put into the game and, and inserted into the games by um, the game makers. So obviously with Sony's first party devs, they can just force them to do it. That's easy for them. And they have that one-on-one -on -one contact to make it work. But then they're also going to have to get all of the third parties to do it. And what people don't think about much is that the vast majority of games played on any platform are third party. That may not be true for Nintendo, but we're mostly talking about Xbox and PlayStation here. But the vast majority of gamers play third party games. And so if they make this their own tech here, they're also going to have to make it easy for third parties to implement it if they want to get any real advantage out of it, because it doesn't look like purely off of a hardware perspective, this PS5 Pro is gonna like knock everyone's socks off. It's this tech that is the key to it. And it's that's gonna be hard to do, right? If these rumors are true. Um, there's also the sentiment, I think, amongst gamers is all these little technologies are cool, but gamers still just want their system to be powerful. You know, my PC, I have a 4000 series GPU. I can do all the fancy stuff, but if I can make a gun, uh, make a game run smoothly without using any of that stuff, that's what I prefer because it's native. It, it's just, it just looks better. It feels more cons consistent. You're not relying on a technology to boost, right? So 
I think this is interesting. I'm also curious about how much they're going to charge for this. I've seen rumors, obviously. I think it's a little bit of hopium that, oh, well, they'll lower the price of the PS5 to $399, and they'll make this $599, or uh, $499, the same price as the PS5. I think that's insane. I, I don't think there's a chance a PS5 Pro comes out, and it's less than $600. I think that's... They'll, they'll, they, they may even lower the PS5 to 400 and then have that premium option. Um, because what people need to realize is that while these pro, these upgrades, these mid-gen upgrades do target the like elite players in their community, what they're also targeting are people who still have a PS4 and who just you know haven't quite pulled the trigger on the 5 yet. But now there's going to be this new five that's even more powerful. And they'll see a bunch of those PS4 people finally leave that platform. You know, that huge install base they have of people who probably still haven't upgraded and who are going to be jumping on that. So I have no doubt that this thing will be successful no matter what. Um, I just wonder if it's true that they're going to be depending on this proprietary tech. I'm really curious to how well that works out because it's going to be hard because they're trying to do a thing that companies much bigger and more experienced than them are trying to do too and have failed and i don't want them to fail as much as i'm obviously an xbox fan um, i want playstation to do well because the best case scenario is that playstation xbox nintendo and pc are all killing it and that makes everything better it'll make things cheaper it'll make things higher quality it's just no matter what platform you prefer if you do at all you should want everyone to be doing well I want to be very clear about that and uh, because they'll push themselves, they'll push each other to be better. And that's what we should all want. Uh, the last thing here is there is a leak from Insomniac, the Spider-Man developers and Ratchet and Clank and so on. Uh, and what it led to, it's interesting. It's an ongoing situation. So what's come out so far are some screenshots from Wolverine, their upcoming game, which is maybe coming in 2024. Uh, and then some hints that a Spider-Verse game may be uh, in development or at least in planning stages. Apparently, these uh, hackers have also um, said that they have like personal document information, like passports and other sensitive information about people either at Insomniac or I think it's like voice actors or something. Um, and they're threatening to release them if they don't pay or something. I don't want to give too much attention to this but it is at least interesting um we still don't really know what playstation slate is for 2024 um especially their first party as far as i know right now we don't know of any first party games they'll surely have something um wolverine being one of the big ones that you know people think may happen um i'm suspecting that both xbox and playstation will have some kind of um We'll have some kind of show in uh, you know early 2024, uh, probably um, I would say towards the end of January. We'll see them both have big showcases, and they'll be talking about the rest of the year. So don't you know? I guess if you don't want any way early spoilers on Insomniac stuff, uh, maybe you know keep an eye out and make sure that you're not seeing something you don't want to see yet. Uh, moving over to Xbox. Along with the PS5 Pro uh, rumors, the same leaker, the same rumor person, said that there may be a next-gen Xbox in 2026. Um, the, this one seems a little more vague. It sounds like it could be a Pro version, but that it is more likely a straight-up the next Xbox. Um, if you've been around long enough, you'll know that this is something I've been um, proposing and speculating on and actually hoping for for a long time. Um, like I was talking about before, it, you, you see people so desperate to do the console war thing and all of that. But what those people don't realize is that the three major console platforms are going three different directions. You've got PlayStation going one direction where they're crushing out console sales and still focused on single player games. They've got this little live service fling going on, but they know where their, where their bread gets buttered, right? So they're going that direction. Then you've got Nintendo just doing their own damn thing. They're putting out hardware that's seven years out of date. That Switch 2 is probably going to be worse than cell phones from six years ago. 
it won't matter. It's going to sell 100 million units, and they're going to keep putting out games that people love, even though they're 720p, 30 FPS, if they're lucky, right? And then Xbox is going the third direction, where they're all about Game Pass um, and, and their hardware. They don't care if you play on their hardware. You can play on PC or your phone or on your TV or whatever. They're just putting out hardware. If you need something to play on, buy it. If you don't, whatever. We don't care. Just buy Game Pass, pay for it every month, and play our games. And that's really cool. Um, you know, the console war people hate it because, like, obviously they're still competing with each other. But they kind of aren't. And even Microsoft has come out and said that, like, and, and people need to consider this as well. Like Microsoft, not Xbox, Microsoft's competition is Amazon and Google and Apple and Disney. And, you know, like that's who they are competing with. Now, obviously, Xbox is in competition with PlayStation and Nintendo, you know, but the greater the the grand picture, it kind of doesn't matter. You know, Sony is going to win between Xbox and Sony that console sales thing forever because I think Xbox gave up with that Xbox one. I think they gave up that, that dream and that's why they put their games out day and day with PC. If you ever wonder why PlayStation doesn't do day and day on PC one, it lets their devs focus on putting on putting the game out on their console at the highest possible quality. And that tends to work out for them. But two, it's because if they put it out on PC day and day, it would cannibalize console sales. Right now, if you want to play God of War Ragnarok, you have to buy a PlayStation 4 or 5. And you should just buy a 5. Why not, right? If you want to play it on PC, we're probably waiting another year and a half, two years for that. And then they can also benefit from people who will buy it on both, who will be impatient. Sony doesn't put their games out day and day, partially for quality. I don't doubt that but mostly for console sales because they really care about that number. And that's fine. It's obviously working for them. Um, but then with Microsoft, that's not the case. And so this new console goes along with the theory I've had for a long time that you may see Xbox actually try to get out of the gen cycle with PlayStation because it's just hurts them. If, you know, say they put out a PS5 Pro in 2024 and Xbox puts out a new console in 2025 or 6, they'll have at least a couple years before the PS6 to say, hey, no, we're the top dog. We have all this new tech. You know, we're, we're the best now. After, Sony's going to have that title for a year or two after the PS5 Pro comes out. And it may turn into a thing where every two or three years, they they unseat each other as being the top dog. And honestly, that sounds kind of good for both of them. Because instead of doing this weird thing where with the PS5 and Series X, it's basically like, man, the PS5 has a better SSD and the play in the Series X is like the clock is a little bit faster. Like, but they're the same systems, right? They are almost exactly the same. I could definitely see Xbox say, hey, let's get out of this pattern. Let's get out a couple years ahead of them. And then they'll leapfrog us. And then we'll do that. And developers are going to hate it because they're going to have these, you know, the, they probably love life right now because the systems are very similar, um, except for the Series X. But we won't talk about that or the Series S. Uh, that's a different story. But I, I've been saying this for a long time. I think you may see Xbox get out of the generation game. And just put out new hardware that, hey, if you need a console to play on, here's the console we're offering. This is the newest one. Instead of trying to say, like, this is our console to fight the PlayStation. Because they don't really need that. At this point, there's like 15 different ways to play Xbox games. Um, the best ones are PC and then Xbox. But there's lots of other ones. And that's only going to be get bigger, right? And I've seen people say, like, well, if there's too many SKUs, developers are going to hate that. Especially third party. I mean, if they do this, if they put out a new system in 2025 or six, they'll phase out the series S and then the series X will be the low end system. And then when they put out a new one, the series X will fall off. This 2026 system will become the low end. And I can see that. And then what they can also leverage is that the Xbox one, the one X and then the series S, if it drops down, can all still be stream boxes. You know, those all of those systems are plenty fast enough to run Game Pass streaming. 
And I think at some point that's what's going to happen. I think they're going to say like, hey, if you guys can't afford the new system, that's fine. You have an Xbox One. As long as you can run this Game Pass app, you can play all of our games and 60 FPS, 4K, as long as your internet can handle it, right? And I think that's what, what, what the, how they'll leverage it. And then they're basically going to release these new systems for the enthusiasts um, or the people who just want that new thing, which unfortunately is me. I, I think that the whole thing of like too many SKUs is a little overrated. Um, what people need to realize is that, you know, all of these games are made for PC nowadays. There's very few games that will never be on PC that release on console. And that means that there's scalability built into all of those engines. Um, one thing that I think has been interesting, and I, I've seen it coming up recently, is about the, the Series S. Obviously, the Baldur's Gate situation um, was kind of unique um, in that it was holding back that game from being on Xbox. But the reason was is because the Series S was struggling to run split screen on Baldur's Gate. Well, Baldur's Gate is a very demanding game. And when you do in-person split screen, you're asking that system to run that game twice. And if it's at a high resolution, that's that's hard. Even for a high-end PC, that's hard. And so that's a unique problem because not too many games do that. The Series S is still more powerful than the minimum spec for almost every new game that's coming out right now. And so as long as the Series S is above that minimum spec, it's fine. It's going to run at a lower resolution and frame rate, of course, but it's fine. That gets played up a lot by people who don't really know what they're talking about. But if they do this next-gen this next gen Xbox, that may not be part of the conversation. Now, I have my own conspiracy theory. I think there is an, a new Xbox coming, Xbox coming relatively soon. I still find it really hard to believe that PlayStation 5 puts out a pro system in, in 2024 and Xbox has no answer. During the ABK acquisition, there were some leaks showing off some... Um, like a digital Xbox Series X, but it didn't have any upgrades. It was just a digital version with no disk drive. Um, supposedly that's been canceled. Same with, I think there was an Xbox Series um, S upgrade that was really minimal. That, that Supposedly that's been canceled too to get this new system out sooner. I suspect we don't know as much as we think we do about what Xbox is doing. My honest guess, and, and this is pure hopium and speculation, is that they will have a pro console of some type very likely next year. But I still think that they could really be pushing to try to put out a next-gen system at least a year or two before PlayStation because they kind of need to do that if they really want to dig back some of that because if they do that along with finally putting out a bunch of games from all of these studios they own that we're still kind of waiting to see the results of that acquisition, I, I think that it would be a good move for them. Um, but I don't know. Um, we'll, we'll just have to wait and see. I, I don't think we get that kind of news quite yet. I guess if there is a Series X Pro for, uh, coming out next year or soon, we'll have to hear about it fairly soon. Um, but there's been no actual rumors of that. So um, it would be a very interesting gaming sphere where PlayStation has a pro system that is potentially substantially faster than anything anyone else has uh, for two or three years until Xbox answers with anything. Um, Xbox better really hope that the next couple of years has some really good games coming out, um, which would alleviate that problem, just to be clear. Um, that, that would solve a lot of the issues of, you know, that's what PlayStation's always had. The Xbox has always made sure that they're a little bit faster hardware-wise, but PlayStation's always had the games, especially in recent generations. So, very interesting. Uh, we got some hints about Starfield announcing a substantial patch for early 2024. Uh, I hate that the first thing they listed was local maps. Uh, even though it's going to be nice when they do it. Um, but they include this includes mod support, which um, if you don't know what it is, it's the creative kit. And uh, if you've ever paid attention to any uh, Bethesda games, you'll know that the creative kit is a really big deal for all of their games because it's literally all of the tools and access to the entire game and engine. And so right now, if you do any mods in Starfield, they're janky. You're replacing files and you're 
editing, you know, text files in, in the game, it's not great. What the creative kit will do will allow people to make like mod managers and be able to integrate mods directly into the game instead of kind of like rigging it up. So it'll be really good. And then they even hinted that there may be vehicles or some type of new transportation they're going to add. That would be super cool, even though they still need to figure out how to make those undiscovered worlds, those empty worlds, a little more interesting, in my opinion. But I'm hankering to do another playthrough of that game. So once some of this stuff rolls out, I definitely plan to jump back in. Uh, and then the final story that actually hit out today was there's no Baldur's Gate 3 will not be on Game Pass, says Larian boss Sven. Um, yeah, of course not. Why would it? Um, I talked about this before. I, and it was probably just by circumstance, but this, this year worked out so well for Baldur's Gate. They released it on PC a month. They moved it up a month before Starfield to try to avo avoid Starfield. In hindsight, maybe Starfield was avoiding Baldur's Gate 3, right? But that was a big pop for them. And then it was received extremely well. And so on PC, people were losing their minds, including myself. I was in love and I still am. Then they released it on PlayStation on the same day as Starfield. So they got to play into that console war, platform warrior. Yeah, you, we, yeah, you get that crappy Starfield. We get Baldur's Gate 3. And that was a big hit. And I bet that was a very good situation for Larian. And now on the Game Awards, they hot drop it on the Xbox because they finally figured out their issue with the Series S. It's working now. And now it's out, and they basically got three big separate hits for that game. And, and now they won Game of the Year. It's the holiday season. They are probably selling that game like hotcakes right now. Like crazy. So of course they aren't going to put it out on Game Pass. There was someone in the kind of funny subreddit who was like, Oh, this must mean it's not selling very well on Xbox. What are you talking about? If it wasn't selling well on Xbox... Then Larian would be like, ah, oh, crap, we're not selling anything on Xbox. Let's just have Xbox give us a freaking stack of money. We'll take that Game Pass deal and pay off the rest of the development that we're going to do for the next two years on this game. Uh, but they aren't doing that because it's probably selling really well on Xbox. Now, there will come a point where the sales drop enough that Larian is willing to do Game Pass once Microsoft... Once the amount of money Microsoft is offering meets with the lowering sales of Baldur's Gate 3, probably next year sometime, then they'll find a point and you will absolutely see Baldur's Gate 3 on Game Pass. I have zero doubt, but it may be a while because I think Baldur's Gate 3 is going to continue to sell really well. I hope Larian makes a crap ton of money and I hope that they can churn out some other really cool projects because... You know, think about a Mass Effect, you know, TRPG and built by them or do like a throwback Fallout game like that. Or, you know, there's just so many possibilities. So cool. I'll be really excited to see what they do next. Moving into the generic, the general gaming news. Fantastic. The developers of the day before have announced that they are shutting down their studio Four days after they released the game, after years of, you know, hyping up this game, saying, you know, delaying it, upgrading the Unreal Engine 5, all this BS that they threw out, uh, they shut down the studio less than a week after they released the game, saying that the sales are unsustainable for their company. This was obviously the plan the whole time. There's a bunch of stuff flying out right now about how shady this whole thing is. The game is basically an asset flip where most of the stuff in the game are purchased assets from the Unreal Engine store. This suggests that the game has probably only really been in development for the last like six months to a year. Um, there's a bunch of weird money stuff going on. The Fantastic is shutting down, but they've also changed their name. Uh, the Mycona or whatever their publisher is called is doing a bunch of weird stuff. And one thing that was really interesting that came out is that someone who lives in Singapore, a game reporter, went to an office. Um, if people, if you don't remember, that you're lucky, they announced a few years ago, a year or two ago, that they were leaving their studio, which was based in Siberia in Russia, and going to Singapore. 
Well, in order to do that, they have to file a bunch of stuff to the Singaporean government, right? So someone in Singapore went to the location of this office, the studio that they opened up there, and it was a shared workspace where they don't work there. There's also no evidence currently that there's any more than these two brothers who even are part of the company because, you know, another story that came out a while back is that most of the devs are volunteers from their discord, that they were taking volunteers to work on their game to get early access to it, right? I mean, this whole thing is just so wild. Luckily, it looks like that Steam is doing what it needs to do to shut down sales. They're, you know, supposedly guaranteeing refunds and things like that. But no, that game has just turned out to be exactly what I expected. And I wish I had the patience to go back and find all of the division creators who were just pumping the day before up so hard, being like, oh, this is the game we always wish that the division would be. I wish I could go. I wish I had the energy to go back and find all of them and make a video with all of them because they should be named and shamed because this thing was a complete farce from the very beginning. In the next story, the Game Awards announces that they hit a record 118 million live streams. Hey, that's super cool, man. Reading that tweet that he sent out took longer than the amount of time he gave to the winners who were lucky enough to see the stage, including game of the year. Jeff Keighley needs to get his crap together. Stop star effing all of the time. Make the show efficient enough to not need a billion sponsors every time and focus on the games and give us some cool reveals. That's all we want and do what you gotta do to make it not as embarrassing next time, even though all your friends in the media and the gaming media are still gonna defend you anyways. Alan Wake 2 releases its new game plus already. Um, I've seen apparently this adds a whole new ending to the game. So if you've played it, um, I haven't finished the base game yet. Uh, we'll see if I do a new game plus. Um, I'm struggling to finish the game. I've been distracted by other stuff, uh, but it's um, it's a great game. It's so good. I need to finish it. I want to see the ending. But then knowing that there's another ending, ugh, it's going to be so hard for me not to go back. We'll see. Uh, and supposedly the sales aren't very good on Alan Wake 2. Keep an eye out for that. Um, supposedly the fact that they didn't do a physical version may be skewing the numbers a little bit. Um, but the, apparently the popularity uh, on the, uh, the Xbox and PlayStation Store tracker things is showing that the game hasn't really been played that, by that many people at any point. And so it may be one of those weird things where it's kind of a niche game and maybe it's not as popular as it's heralded because it's so good. It's one of the best games I've ever played, but I could also see where it wouldn't really be um, super attractive to a lot of people. Speaking of attraction, on Wednesday, Twitch put out some rules basically saying that a bunch of nudity or suggestive things that you can do on stream were now cool. And then people obviously took advantage of that and broke the rules immediately. And then on Friday, they took all those rules back and put them back to the way they were before, where you're pretty much not supposed to be doing a bunch of suggestive stuff. It's really interesting because like, I don't care about titty streamers and stuff like that. The, the people watching those streams weren't going to come watch me. They're not taking anything from me. I do think it's weird to pull up my Twitch account and see like front page, you know, spots for people who are literally streaming. I guess the meta right now is to stream without any shirt on at all for our, our, our female presenting breasted friends and um, to basically make sure the camera stays about one inch above your nipples and so you can see all the top boob. You obviously can't see the goods because the nipples are the evil part, as we all know in our Puritan society. Um, and it's, it's just weird. And that's a thing. And that's fine. But it probably shouldn't be on the front page. And like my thing is that there have to be better websites for this, for these people. Like I get that Twitch has, you know, this huge viewer base. Obviously it's working out for them. I'm sure they're making lots and lots of money. Good for them. It's just like, I don't even think Twitch has to be my gamer place. There's people who do all kinds of stuff on Twitch, but it just seems like this thing, maybe it's not the place for it, but who am I to judge? They aren't hurting me. I really don't care that much. 
I, I did see some feedback though that when they made the change on Wednesday, someone I follow was like, Oh, well, they're going to do the Elon thing and put this out and then they're going to get feedback and change it. And my point was like, actually, Elon just puts out stupid ideas and goes with them. If they do change, which they did, and they went back on this rule change, that's not a bad thing. What people need to realize about Twitch and what's going on with them, they're trying to become sustainable. Um, all of these streaming companies that came out, um, Twitch and uh, God, we have like Kick now and all Rumble and all these places, they, they were venture capitalist things where they came out and they lost millions and millions and millions of dollars every year for years. And they, and they still are. But what Twitch is trying to do for Amazon's sake is to become at least break even, if not profitable. And that's why you see them break, you know, cutting down on things like this, because if there's titty streamers that advertisers don't like advertisers pull their money and then no one makes any money because all of these Twitch streamers and stuff, any money they make, um, you know, they make money from ads and stuff like that. And from, you know, ad deals and things like that. Sure. You get bits and subs and all that, but the real money comes from the ads, at least for Twitch and for Twitch to exist, it has to be sustainable. And the problem they're running into is they're trying to make their streamers happy who bring in all the revenue, but they're also trying to keep advertisers happy with rules that keeps the streamers from getting too weird, but then that makes the streamers mad. But if the streamers do bad stuff, the advertisers leave and they're trying to please both of those groups because they need both. And it's a tightrope and they have to be flexible. Um, I wish they wouldn't make embarrassing moves like this one, but I still would rather be associated with Twitch than kick. Um, the difference with kick is that it is owned by people who own a, in the United States and many other countries, illegal crypto offshores, um, gambling website. And kick is, is literally just an advertising wing for them. Kick will never make money. That's why kick is doing like 90% uh, money goes to the streamers and stuff of all the stuff that you make because they don't care. They're not trying to make money. Kick is designed to fail because it's just a marketing wing of this crypto uh, gambling thing, right? So that's why when you see kick, like kind of trying to dunk on Twitch and stuff, which is hilarious because it's basically irrelevant. It, it's, you, you have to remember that, that Twitch is trying to be a, an actual sustainable business and kick and a bunch of these other streaming platforms aren't. So good luck to Twitch. Maybe they'll figure it out eventually. Um, Archetype Entertainment, the developer of the uh, Mass Effect fans' newest uh, obsession, Exodus, uh, has some kind of maybe a little bit scary news. Um, it's two parent companies. Um, so Exodus is being made by Archetype Entertainment, who is owned or is underneath, uh, is going to be published by Wizards of the Coast, who owned, you know, like has the rights to Dungeons and Dragons and all of that. And Wizards of the Coast is owned by Hasbro, the toy company. Well, Hasbro laid off 1,100 people this week uh, at Wizards of the Coast and Hasbro. As far as I know, Archetype Entertainment wasn't impacted. It appears to be a pretty small studio, 50 people-ish maybe, um, which also makes me kind of wonder the scale of that game and, and how far along it is maybe. Um, but it's something to keep an eye on. Uh, luckily, it seems like Archetype Entertainment wasn't impacted. I am really curious about this project, about what they're, what they're going to do with it and where it's going to go. But um, it's been a tough year for games, man. And I know that this that these layoffs doesn't don't seem like they directly impacted games. But it still sucks, man. Um, it's really weird seeing companies do well on paper and continue to act like they aren't. Uh, or to just take advantage of the situation. So... Best of luck to them. I hope that we don't get any bad news on that front. Um, my content, I did a video that you can catch on my YouTube. I also posted it over on Patreon and Ko-Fi um, where you can check out kind of my reflection on this year and content and my plans for next year. On YouTube, I accomplished my goal of becoming a YouTube partner, which is really exciting for me. Um, I got more views this year. Um, I got over a hundred thousand views in 2023, uh, where I had gotten 200,000 views from 20, I think 2016 to 2022. <laughs> so 
it was a pretty good year for me, even though comparatively to real YouTubers, it's not very good. I don't care. I'm happy with what we did. And thank you for being a part of that. With streaming, it's become kind of an add-on thing. I, I wish I could do it more and more consistently. I just can't. Um, so it's a thing. I, I will continue streaming. I'll continue multi-streaming on YouTube and Twitch. I'm trying for at least a, one stream a week um, and more if I can do it. Uh, but, you know, just think of it as an add-on. And then for the podcast, I I think that's what I'm going to focus on the most in 2024. Trying to get my advertising perfected, trying to get my marketing and all of that. Trying to maybe maybe do a little bit of rebranding to tighten things up a little bit. Um, I really think that this podcast and my Mass Effect podcast should be bigger. I especially think this one should be. I know that solo weekly gaming podcasts maybe aren't the best uh, thing to shoot for. I still think that, you know, I get 200 to 250 listens to this podcast a week. I think we should be able to do at least double that. I would really love to quadruple it. That's my goal. So if you have any tips, please let me know. I am going to reach out to some people I know who do this stuff really well, uh, but I am always happy to get suggestions. And then the final thing is I want to talk about, I'm going to start talking about games I'm playing currently. And oddly enough, this may surprise you. I've mostly been playing Squad. Squad is a PC indie developed, I guess, live service milsim game that is basically like Tarkov, I guess, but in a large scale war. It's a really dumb game. The people who play it are kind of awful. It's like Call of Duty servers, but worse. Um, or called Call of Duty lobbies, but worse. But there's something just so cool about playing a game that takes place on maps that's miles square, where there's tanks and airplanes and helicopters and infantry, and you've got people kind of doing the middle sim thing where you're moving in squads and you're building, you know, encampments and rallies and defenses and hitting a hitting an RPG shot from across the field and seeing a tank go up in flames. Ah, something about it. So squads while I'm playing now, I've been dabbling with the division two. I need to get back to Alan Wake four. Um, if you're watching uh, on YouTube, let me know down in the comments what you are playing right now. And if you're listening on a podcast platform, get into the discord and tell me what you're playing in there. There's links to that in the link tree link in the description. Let's get into some listener questions. If you have your own question, be sure to ask in my Discord, in the YouTube comments, or hit me up over at Twitter, um, at BondDiesel, or at threads at Bond underscore Diesel. I must start using threads. You should too. It's available in Europe now. My question, uh, the questions this week come from Master Prime 901 We have... Would you like UI changes in ME4 or stick to the original trilogy UI? Um, I think it pretty obviously needs to be updated. It would be cool if they try to keep to a similar aesthetic as the trilogy. There's something nostalgic about you know, some of those things, but the UI in the trilogy isn't great, especially on console. And so I'd be okay if they pretty significantly update that. Uh, the second question is, uh, what game do you wish had a DLC or expansion? Off the top of my head, I would have loved to see some kind of DLC or expansion for Haven from 2019, I think. Uh, it was a game made by the Game Bakers, which I just really, really loved. And they have added a lot to it since it came out. But I would really love an actual, because the story ends on kind of a cliffhanger. Um, the other one would be last year's A Plague Tale Requiem. Um, to get maybe a little bit more story of what happens to Amicia after the end of the game, um, to, to go on a journey with her a little bit as she deals with the things she's dealing with. That would be very, very cool. And then the last question, do you think any Grand Theft Auto game is overrated? Me personally, I think five is pretty overrated. Um, I really, really didn't like basically anything they did with five. I hated the sing. I don't play the multiplayer. Um, I didn't like switching characters. I thought all of the characters were just not pleasant to play as. Um, and I know that's the point, especially with Trevor, but I just, I don't know. 
that game gave, that game just gave me bad vibes where I didn't have a lot of fun with Grand Theft Auto games. So five would be my overrated Grand Theft Auto game. So Master Prime, thank you so much for those questions. And if you have your own, please feel free to ask them. Don't let Master Prime be the only person who ever asked these questions. I know there's a good number of you listening and I know a lot of people just like to lurk, but I really do you know, love that interaction. So please give it to me. I would love to hear from you. And that's where we're going to wrap this show up. Thank you so much for listening uh, to this episode. Let me know if you have any feedback or thoughts on the show. I'm happy to hear it out. You can find me all over the internet as Bond Diesel. You can support my content uh, by checking out patreon.com slash Bond Diesel. Um, you can check out co-fi.com slash Bond Diesel. That's a new one um, if you don't want to use Patreon. You can also become a YouTube member, subscribe over at Twitch, or check out my merch at the Linktree link in the description below. I have a Streamlabs merch store, um, and things are priced very reasonably. So go get yourself a mug. And uh, that's all I have. So until next time. Mm-hmm.